have found myself um, just like we've kind of had the discussion already this morning. I've kind of found myself being challenged by the Lord to trust him more. I find myself being challenged by God uh, a lot recently, and I'm learning that the plan of God requires more of my trust than it does my execution. I look at what the Lord's doing in my life, and, and I see the things that he wants to do, and, and I feel almost overwhelmed at times by the things that I believe the Lord has called me to, specifically. I'm not talking about just our church, but I'm talking about my life now. I'm giving you a window into where your pastor is at this morning. And I find myself looking into those things and looking into what the Lord has for me and what his plans are for my life. And a lot of times it's overwhelming to me as I'm looking at those things. I think, oh, Lord, how am I going to accomplish this? Lord, the track record doesn't track in that direction. The trend is not in that way. Lord, how is it going to be accomplished? And what I'm finding is the Lord is not giving me the answers of how to solve the problems that I have. Isn't that tough? When you have something that is so difficult and beyond yourself and you say, Lord, I need help. How am I going to get out of this? And then he doesn't give you the answer. Lord, how am I going to make it through this season in my life? Lord, I'm looking for direction. God, would you just help me pull up my, my GPS on life today and help me get in the right place and go in the right direction and find myself moving with your plan and your spirit? And you get that spinning wheel of death like redirecting, recalculating, recalculating, and you just never can get it back the way you were expecting it to be, sometimes you can feel lost. Sometimes you can feel like, I don't, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how I'm going to get to where I'm supposed to be. I know the Lord has called me, and I know that he's planned me for this, but I don't know how it's going to be so that I can get to... I, Lord, I don't know what to do. And you're looking around, and you just kind of feel a little bit hopeless at times. But what I'm learning now in my life is this, that I have got to... that The plan of God requires more of my trust than it does my execution. I got to trust him more than I'm working. Does that make sense? I've got to trust him with the plan that he has for me more than I trust my ability to complete that plan. If you think about Abraham, which I'm going to talk about just here in a second, but if you think about Abraham, who is said to be the father of our faith, like he's the one who kind of kind of started a little bit of this stuff, right? Like Adam and Eve, and there were people in the garden that, that followed God, but, but the one who acted on faith had to have been Abraham. As he started out, when the Lord spoke to him and said, go. And he said, where? And he said, go. And he just started walking. He knew at some place he was going to get to the land that he had been promised. But it required more of his trust than it did his execution. God, I don't know how to do it. That's not what he's worried about. 
What he's worried about is, are you going to say yes and are you going to follow? Are you going to trust him with the plan that he has for your life? Are you going to trust him with the direction that he has for your life? Lord, I don't know how that's going to work. Yes, but do you trust me? How many of you ever grew up with parents that were like that? You got told something and, and you didn't ask why. You just had to do it and you figured it out when you got there. Oh, that's why dad said to do it that way. Or, oh, that's why I had, mom didn't tell. I had to do it this way because if they, they knew it before I did. That if I didn't do it this way, it wasn't going to work out. But you had to trust that what they were saying was the actual truth. I don't know if that's going to be the right way or not. But do you trust them? I remember things that my dad even told me in recent years in my life. I remember him right after we planted the church here in Mark Tree. I said, Dad, we're going to buy that property out by the interstate. He said, I don't know why you do that. And I got offended because I was like, Dad, the Lord told me. Anybody ever meet those people? The Lord told me that I'm supposed to have this land. He said, son, if I was you, I'd buy that bank building right there because that's the prime location in this area for you to be because that's where you're in the heart of the city. If you're out there or you're on the other side of the place and nobody's going to know where you're at, you need to be right here. Well, it took me about three and a half years of mistakes to realize that we needed to be right here. And it just so happened that what Dad said was right. It wasn't what I wanted to hear, but I had to listen. And I remember looking at this building, and every day when I preach from this church, I look out that door at that bank building that he told me four years ago, son, this is the corner that you need to be on, and I didn't want to hear it. Because the plan of God requires more of my trust than it does my execution. I'm so focused on what I can and what I can't do, but what you need to be focused on is how much are you trusting the Lord? God, I don't know if I can do that. That's not what he asked you to do. When he told Abraham, he said, you're going to be the father of many nations. Abraham says, how is that possible? Look at my age. There's no way. I can't even have children. How am I going to be the father of one child, let alone the many nations that you're calling me to? How is that possibly going to happen? I can't even do it once. He said, yeah, but do you trust me? Because the plan of God requires more of my trust than it does my execution. That's a word for somebody today. If we don't trust God, we will hesitate at the execution of the plan of God. This year, we're continuing in our uh, quest, or I, I, per se, of multiplying. And we're going to multiply, and the result of multiplication will be dominion on the earth. Pastor, you said that's a strong word. That's right. Because that's the word the Lord used yes. when he spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. This is going to require us to trust God with more than we've ever trusted him with. God, I don't know how it's going to happen that way. But do you trust him? Lord, we don't have the facility to, to house that. Yes, but do you trust him? Lord, I don't have the, I don't have the resources. I don't have the money. For that, Yes, but do you trust him? We're going to have to trust his plan and his timing more than we ever have. This doesn't mean that it's going to be easy or that it's going to get easier. 
but it means that we will live with peace, that, that God is leading us and guiding us. When I was in college and I would study for an exam, sometimes it didn't matter if I studied or not, Brother Ed, and I, and I would get ready to take that test and I would, I would study and I'd walk in there, I'll never forget, I walked in there to a sophomore level uh, engineering course and it was called statics, kind of about forces and, and directional forces and uh, whatnot. And the, the easy way is they taught us a little bit about bridge building. And um, so we were working on that. And I was working to study for that test. And I studied and I, I studied and I studied and I studied for that test. I walked in there and I took that test. I got a 52. Some of y'all ain't never had that happen to you, but I have. You walk in there and you study and you thought you did it right. I turned that in and we all talked about it after class and Man, I think I did that right. I, I you know, I, I did that. I did that, and you kind of felt good. And turned around, and got it back, and it was a fifty-two. And uh, I looked at that, and I thought I studied for that, but I didn't feel as bad for it. Why? Because I did all that I could. I did everything that I knew to do. I was okay with failure, sort of, as long as I had studied and did all that I could. If I had done my part. And I had done everything that I possibly could and I'd left the rest up to the Lord and it still didn't work out, I didn't feel guilty about it. And what found out, what I realized is the Lord would make a way for me out of those things anyways. Even with an F on that test, I still passed the class. Even with a bad grade on that one moment, I still passed the class. I still made it through. And I look at, at our lives and I say, if I have done everything that I know to do and I have submitted it to the Lord, and I have put my trust in him, then the results are no longer up to me. I have only done what I could do. I have obeyed to the degree to which I am physically and emotionally and spiritually able to so that the rest is then left up to him. I remember standing out in front of the pharmacy building down here off of uh, just at the end of the road at, uh, at Family Care I remember standing out there the, the day of and the night of that we launched our kids and student ministries. And I remember walking out of the parking lot because we started those things with nobody. And I would walk out in that parking lot and I, I would have, we would have knocked on every door that we could have. We would have prayed and sought the Lord that the people that needed to be around us, that needed to be connected to this place would be. And we sought the Lord for that. And I remember walking out that evening that we launched the student ministry and stood there and said, Lord, I have done all that I know to do. I submit this to you. Lord, the results are now up to you. And we had the largest service that we had ever had at that point. And now I look at those days that we had knocked and walked and prayed and invited and promoted and believed God for, and now look at what are the largest ministries in this church, our kids and students. Because the plan of God required more of my trust than it did my execution. I had to submit it to him because the reality is I can't make you come to church. I can't force you into this place. I can't force you into doing the things that God has asked you to do. I can ask you. I can invite you. And did you know this? Just a sidebar. Do you know that 75 or 80% of the people that you will personally invite to church will come? Isn't that crazy? It, most of the time, people are only waiting on you to ask them. 
I think the I think the anointing of the Holy Ghost is on invitations to church. Why? Because you don't have that kind of response from anything else in the world. Nobody is getting an 80% conversion rate on a marketing campaign. Nobody. Nobody's getting an 80% conversion rate on Facebook ads or commercial programming. Nobody is getting that. But if you will invite somebody, if you will be the one that makes the contact with them, I believe it allows the Spirit of God to be on the words that you say and on the atmosphere of the moment, and then it changes them into a point that they would be receptive to the things of God. Because the plan of God requires more of my trust than it does my execution. We can't multiply or have dominion if we don't trust the Lord. Genesis chapter number 1, verse number 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God's plan for his people was to be fruitful and to multiply and have dominion. But something happened. Genesis chapter 3 last week we talked about how Eve was deceived by the serpent and allowed something to speak that she was supposed to have dominion over allowed something to convince her of something other than the plan of God that she was supposed to have dominion over. The biggest thing that you can take away from that is you need to let yourself have dominion over everything that you are supposed to and let nothing speak that shouldn't. God's plan for people to multiply and have dominion, though, did not stop because of the fall. Just because man sinned did not stop the plan that God had for them to be fruitful and multiply. Would it be harder? Yes. Would Eve have pain and childbirth? And would Adam have to work to get fruit to grow in the garden? Yes. But the plan was still the same. Be fruitful, multiply, have dominion. Why? Because they are the image bearers of God. And as they multiply, it is as if he is multiplying as well. You are an image bearer of God. You look like your father. He still had a plan and a place for them. God's plans don't expire. The purpose in filling the earth and having dominion was to fill the earth with his people. Remember, we're created in the image of God, a reflection of him. This plan continued through the people that followed him. His promised uh, land was to Abraham, someone that followed him. The journey of his descendants inheriting the land was long and painful, but that promise was fulfilled. 
He spoke again of this land to Moses through the burning bush while God was revealing to Moses that he had heard the cry of his people. He told Moses he was going to deliver them to a land that was flowing with milk and honey. Exodus chapter 3. Verse number eight, Moses is standing uh, in front of the burning bush. He looks aside to see it. He walks up there and the Lord speaks to him out of the bush and says, take off your feet because you're standing on holy ground. And he takes his feet off or his shoes off and the Lord began to speak to him. And this is what he says. And I've come down to deliver them, speaking of the nation of Israel, out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. We know that Moses would eventually lead this two million person group out of the captivity of the Egyptian empire. And through the wilderness, he would lead them. He would lead them to the Red Sea. He would make it through the Red Sea and then walk through the wilderness of the Middle East up to a point that they would be ready to cross over into the land that was promised to their father, Abraham. And that promise was to all of his descendants, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They look over in. They finally make it to the place to where they can now cross over into this land. We've got to learn how to hear the promises of God, receive them, and then possess them. Even though the Israelites would continually be looking back to Egypt. Moses had the mind to move forward. It's so important to be following the one that is in tune with the voice of the Lord and moving in the direction of God. Moses had to move in the direction of God even with the mockery and rebellion of the people that God had him to lead. Boy, I wish I had some pastors in here to tell you today that just because your people don't listen to you because they are obstinate, because they don't want to behave, they don't want to come to church, you've got to lead them anyways. I was talking to somebody this week, not a pastor, but he was a deacon, not at our church, different church. And he said, Micah, I just don't understand why some folks won't come to church. I don't understand. He said, I, I, I'm at church every time the doors are open. I said, yeah, you and I were raised that way. But everybody wasn't. It wasn't the case that everybody had like me and you. It was different. And he didn't understand that. But you can't stop leading just because people don't listen. If you look at Moses, Moses really did have the heart of a pastor. Why? Because God wanted to destroy these people. Do you understand that? God wanted to start completely over again. He wanted, and, and in fact, we're going to get to that point in just a second, but he really wanted to start completely over with Moses, and he was going to make a greater nation, a more powerful nation, is what he said. And these people just wouldn't listen. Everywhere Moses took them, at any slight inconvenience, they're calling to go back to Egypt. They, they get out of the bondage of Egypt. They walk up to the Red Sea. And here we are. We have to believe God for something. Moses, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you would lead us into the wilderness to die? And he says, just be quiet for a minute and let me talk to the Lord. 
and he, then he stretches his hand out, and the Red Sea splits as he stretches his rod over it. Then they get to a, another place, and they and they say, well, you've led us out of here to die too. We, want, we wish that we were back in Egypt. And God finally says, I've had enough of this. Just because they're obstinate didn't mean that they didn't need to be led. Moses loved these people, and he petitioned God, and he said, Lord, would you change your mind? And he did. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Have you ever had a conversation with the Lord where you said, God, I really don't like this. I kind of wish that we could do something else. Most of the time, he's going to say no. But he looked at Moses and he said, okay, I'll let it happen because you care about him. Isn't that so crazy that you can still have the heart of God even when you're surrounded by people that don't? You can still maintain the attitude of God even when you're surrounded by people that don't. You know, I don't really blame Moses for striking the rock because he had probably just about had it by then. God had literally made manna rain down from heaven and send birds, even though he told them they didn't need birds. He sent them anyways, and they all choked on them. And he said, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let this, you know, I, I, Lord, I've asked you to save them, and I've just about had it. But even though you're frustrated, you can't act out of your own anger. You have to move in the, in the tenderness and gentleness of the Holy Spirit. And Moses possessed, I believe, the heart of a pastor in these people. But we've got to learn how to inherit the promises of God. We've got to be able to hear it and not just be a hearer of it, but an inheritor of it. Moses could have heard that. And, and we have, as Pentecostal people, you have heard words spoken over your life and over your family or over your resource, everything about you. You have heard something. Somebody says, oh, I believe that the Lord is leading you into this. We've heard these things. But there comes a time when you have to just stop hearing these things and start inheriting these things. There comes a time when you have to stop just hearing the word and start living it out. Amen? Can y'all be with me this morning? We still got a little bit further to go. There's, we've got to be hearers of the word and doers of the word as well. Moses would continue to lead these people through the wilderness. And they found themselves uh, in this wilderness after the Red Sea, and they came to the place that God was leading them to. It's time for them to possess this promise. It's time for them to have dominion in the place that God has prepared and promised for them. And we find that, I'm going to read quite a few scriptures right here, in Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13, verse number 1 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send me, or send men, to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. Verse 17, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is, whether the people and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are in camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now, the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. Now, skip down to verse number 25. 
At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the lands of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great Height, meaning what? They are giants. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them. A couple of things. I'm going to pull out three things in this scripture and then we're going to go home. And the first thing is this. Great revelation comes to those who with great trust. Great revelation comes to those with great trust. What do you mean, Pastor? There are times that God gives us insight into what is next in his plan for us. And I believe that he reveals things to us to prepare us. But he reveals these things to us because he trusts us. He told Moses, send 12 men, one from every tribe, a chief among them. Send them into the land so that they may see. The Lord gives them the opportunity to walk into this land beforehand, not so that they would be afraid, but so that they could get a glimpse into what God was going to do. He told them, this is the land that is prepared for you. This is the land that has flowed. They found it. They found the milk and honey. They come back and 10 of the 12 didn't like it. But the Lord revealed something to them. He revealed it and Caleb and Joshua go over there and see it and they see it and they are enamored by what they see. In verse 23 of that chapter, I encourage you to read the whole thing. In verse 23 of that chapter, it shows just what those grapes were like. It says they cut down a cluster of the grapes and tied them to a tree and carried them between two men. Now you think about that. You buy a cluster of grapes at Walmart in a plastic sack with holes in it, and it might weigh two or three pounds, maybe. These men carried it like you would a deer out of there. How big must those grapes have been? 
I know as a kid when we colored the coloring sheet of the grapes in children's church that the grapes were the size of basketballs, basically. So can you imagine what that must have been like? And the Lord revealed that to them. He was showing that to them so that they could trust him even more. Who cares if the cities are walled or fortified. To be honest with you, I don't really like that Moses gave them the direction to see what and, and to take note of how bad everything could be. Is it fruitful or is it not? Do they have big cities or is it in camps? What difference does it make? It was the place that the Lord had called them to go. It was the place that he said for them to be. He said, go into that land and see that it is yours. They walk in there and take a, a, a survey as to whether or not this is really what we want could we stop trying to check off the boxes to the promises of God and just know that does it flow with milk and honey yes is it the place that he told us to go yes then go get it well if it had been on this street and not that street I might have got it if it had been this one instead of that one. If it had been green instead of purple, I would have liked it a little better. So I really don't know. Is it the one that he gave to you or not? We got, we got, and to me, I can say this because this is my personality. Because I would have went over there and been checking off everything too. Wanting to know, is this really it? Is this, because how many of y'all are like that? where you, you, you want to validate and then revalidate and then revalidate again that this is actually the place that I'm supposed to be and it's very tough for you to hear the Lord the first time, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. Maybe y'all hear a lot better than I do, but that may be true. But I, maybe you hear a lot better than, than I do and you, you, you only have to be told things once. They walked through and said, mm, it's not tent camps. I, I can just imagine that they walked up near it. And what if they walked over there and saw Jericho, the great walled city? Now, you know what's going to happen. We've, you, you know this, what's going to happen. They're going to come back and they're going to make that, that statement. They're going to tell Joshua and Caleb, you guys are crazy. You can have all the grapes you want, but we're not going over there. God gets so angry at them and says, I, I, I'm tired of you guys. I've had it with y'all. I'm about to destroy you. And Moses in, in chapter 14 says, hold up, God. Wait a second, just a minute. We, we need to talk about this first. Can we not destroy everybody? Because the Egyptians are going to see this and they're going to know that you destroyed them in the desert instead of providing for them the way that you said. And God said, okay, I will give them this, this break. But for every day they spent in the promise and didn't inherit it, they're going to spend a year wandering in the wilderness. That's what he said. Go read chapter 14. That's what he said. Flip your page to the other side and look on the top left part. That's what he said. For every day, I'm giving them a year. I'm going to not get ahead of myself here, but I'm going to tell you that the Lord is showing you what's ahead of you for a reason, not for you to fear, 
about what is ahead of you, but so that you would prepare yourself for the uh, occupation of the promise of God. Because see, what was fearful to those 10 men was not fearful to Joshua when he walked across the, red, the, the Jordan River and, and gets to the other side. And the first place they come to is Jericho. And they walk around it seven times. Didn't have to fight one ounce of it, did they? But yet they took the whole city. It didn't matter that it was the walls that were four feet thick. It didn't matter that they could ride chariots side by side each other on the walls. It didn't matter that they were heavily fortified, an impenetrable uh, barrier. It didn't matter because it was the place that the Lord said they were supposed to be. Isn't it amazing how the plan of God requires more of our trust than it does our execution? They weren't going to have to fight when they got there. In fact, I think Joshua or Caleb told them that, guys, he's going to give them to us. He's going to make their armies weak anyways. We just need to go over there and take what we've got. They said, well, shut up, Caleb. We don't want to hear it anymore. Somebody's grandma just turned over in their grave because I said shut up in church. Many times in my immaturity, I could not handle the information that God could have given me, could have given me, but he had to withhold because I could not handle the, 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 the forethought of what could be. He could not have told me that I was going to be the pastor of this church in my freshman year of college because I would have quit. I would have quit. But the Lord knew that I needed a degree in engineering. I didn't think it was necessary, but he did. He knew that there was going to be a place that I needed to sit so that I could listen and learn and hear conversations of people at different levels in different places. I didn't know that that was necessary. But if he had told me that this day was going to come, I would have stopped it altogether and said, why waste the time and money? Let's start today. But the Lord knew the plan that I needed and the plan that he had. So now I am learning that the Lord is, is trusting me more because he's showing me things that used to would have derailed me. But because I have learned to trust him in the process and the plan of God in my life, he will then show me greater things. Can you imagine how much the apostle John must have trusted the Lord? So that while his eyes were blinded, he saw the end days of the church and then the reign of Christ on earth. Wow, how incredible it must have been that how the, the, the trust that John had in him. But if you think about it, it was that one, it was that disciple that was the youngin that laid his head on the chest of Jesus. And Jesus said, this is the one that I love. Isn't that crazy? Jesus loves people that trust him. He loves people that trust him. In fact, Hebrews tells us that it is impossible to please God without having faith in him. And you aren't going to have any kind of faith if you don't trust. Moses was able to talk with the Lord like, he, like one person did to a friend. And he had to trust the Lord. He didn't have any more answers than the people did in that day. He just had the word of the Lord and had to move with it. The more we trust the word of God, I believe, the more he will show you. Second thing, you have a choice in approaching the promise of God. You can either be fruitful or you can be fearful. 
but you cannot be both. As they were entering the land and inspecting what was there, they had two choices as to whether they could, where they could place their focus. They could see the fruit or they could see the fight. There appeared to be a fight on their hands if they chose to enter this place because they saw the giants. They saw the Nephilim, which we ain't going to talk about this morning. But they saw all these other things that were there. These huge cities, they're not small. These are not tents. These are walled, fortified fortresses. How are we going to do that? We're just farmers. We make bricks. We built the pyramids, maybe. No, I'm just kidding. And uh, they, uh, some of y'all don't get that, but maybe you will one day. There appeared to be a fight on their hands if they chose to enter this place. There was also a, all of the fruit that they had hoped for. There was the milk. There was the honey. There was the fruit. And many of them had endured the whip of the Egyptian so long that they weren't used to anything other than the fight. They lived in the fear that they would be overwhelmed and then yet put back into captivity again. They had forgotten it did not matter how much God had did. They had not let go of what was going on in Egypt. This, let, me, let me help somebody out today. If you don't get real freedom from the things that once held you bondage, it will not ever matter how much God will do for you. You'll never learn to trust him. If you do not get freedom from the bondage of your past, it will not matter if God splits a sea, rains manna from heaven, puts birds in your hands, or, or, does, or splits the joy. It will never matter if you don't get real freedom from it. Because they're standing there looking at the promise, having the confirmation of the fruit of the land, and say, we're not going in because we are afraid of who is there. We are afraid that we will be put back into captivity. We are afraid that our men, what is it? I think the scripture said in, in chapter 14, they said they're gonna kill our men and our women and children will be their prey. They're afraid it's Egypt all over again. Why? Because they never got free. They were delivered. They were set free out of their, they never got deliverance. They got deliverance, but they never got freedom. How crazy is it that you could be standing on the doorstep of the promise of God, but because you never let go of what, what was once holding you, you cannot enter that promise. And so for 40 years, Miss Lori, they would wander around there in that desert because the Lord said not one of them is going to go in. Not one of them is going to go in until everyone in that generation was gone. The change of their location didn't change the fearful heart of the men. Many times we hope that with a change of scenery or a location that we would leave the problems of one season behind, but we won't. I have said this and I have heard this said for years and years and years. If you leave a church mad, you will walk into the next one just as mad as you left the first one. If you leave burnt out, you will go into the next. If you leave a job frustrated at your boss, the first thing that is going to happen in your next job is you are going to be frustrated at your boss. 
If you, because in, what would they call it in 2020 and 2021, they called it the Great Resignation, where there was a decline in the workforce population because so many people were leaving their jobs and taking other jobs. But the study showed that 70% of people who have left their job in the last three years are equally dissatisfied with the job, or more so dissatisfied with the job that they currently have. How crazy is that? Because you can leave burnt out, but it doesn't mean that you're going to get replenished before you get to the next one. Burnout is not a, it's not a personnel issue. It is a personal issue. You understand what I'm saying there? The difference, personnel, personal. They hadn't dealt with or accepted that God was leading them, so they couldn't have peace with that place. That's why they constantly fought Moses. You've led us out here to die. You have led us, not that God has led us. They didn't trust Moses because they didn't trust God. Hello. If you don't trust God, you will never trust your pastor. And I said that being your pastor. If you don't trust God, you will never trust me. I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on. I'm not going to meddle in nobody's business. What they had been through had done nothing for them to have more faith in God. Last thing I'm going to say. Taylor, you boys can play. Just play something instrumental. I don't want any words. Choose right over loud. Choose right over loud. The 10 other spies may have been the loudest, but they weren't the most correct. Caleb quieted the voices of the one speaking in fear and gave them the truth of what God was planning for them. It's easy to go with the logical and the loud. Guys, we can't go in there. We can't go in there. There's, the cities are too big. The people are too strong. Don't you know it's these this people, this people, this people, this people, and this people. Don't you know they're from that hood? We can't go fight them, them jokers over there. That ain't gonna work. Don't you know where we're from? Caleb quiets the loud voices speaking in fear and gives them the truth of what God was planning them. It's easy to go with the logical and loud, but we must make sure that it's also correct. Did they find great opposition on the other side? Yes, but God was the one who was leading them into it and it didn't require much of a fight. He led them out of Egypt and across the Red Sea. He would eventually be the one that split the Jordan River as well and caused the walls of Jericho to fall. He did what Caleb was saying he was going to do. In our journey of multiplication and dominion, we need to be more fruit-focused than fight-focused. There will be obstacles to overcome. The city walls may even be high and heavily fortified, but God's promise trumps every enemy problem. The result of being more fearful than fruitful is wasted time. The result of being more fruitful than, or more fearful than fruitful is wasted time. God gave them a year for every day that they were there. They lost their right to the promised land because of their fear. But their children would go ahead and inherit it. My prayer is that you don't miss one thing that God has planned for you. What do you mean, Pastor? I don't want my daughter to have to to have to fight battles that I should have already won. I don't want my children to have to inherit something that I was too afraid to. 
I was always told that your children will do in excess what you allow in moderation. I also think that your children will accomplish in excess what you accomplish in moderation. Why? Because if we are building healthy families, then our children should start right where we stop. When I have reached the last rung on my ladder, I want my children to climb off of my back onto the next one and keep going forward. I don't want to get to the promised land only to look over into it it's just so that my children will be there. But I would walk 40 years in the desert to make sure that my babies got what I missed out on. They didn't just quit and die. They kept walking. I'm not encouraging you to look at the promise and be afraid of it, but my encouragement is that you keep on moving. Don't let fear keep you out of something that was meant for you. Dominion is more about trusting God than it is executing the plan of God. Our trust in God makes way for obedience and submission to God, which makes way for fruitfulness, multiplication, and dominion. Trust the confirmation of God more than the condemnation of the enemy. To multiply and have dominion, we have to trust God's plan more than the execution of our hands. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, for everything that you have spoken to us, led us into, and given us. Lord, we are trusting you today with everything that you have given us and done for us. Lord, would you help us to, by your spirit, be led into your promise. In Jesus' name, with every head bowed, every eye closed. You're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm away from the Lord and I know it. I'm far from the plan of God and I want to make it right with him today. I need salvation. I need to commit my life to him. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you to put your hand up and back down so I know to pray. Praise the Lord. Father, over my friends and my family here, would you help us to be more fruit-focused than we are fight-focused? There will be days, Lord, we understand that opposition may come, but we are trusting that we are in the land that you have called us to. And Lord, that because we are in that land, we will inherit the promise of God. And Lord, that the fights that we fight will be fought by you. And Lord, we're trusting you for every victory, for every city, and for every place. And Lord, over this house, and over the city of Marktree, over Truman, over Tyranza, over Lepanto and Harrisburg, Lord, would you let nothing be limited from us? Would you help us, oh God, to as we come in contact with opposition, to be reminded of the fruitfulness of this land and let us see that harvest come about in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, be sure to, uh, hey, one more thing. Let me make one announcement that I meant to talk about that we haven't talked about, and I don't think we have a graphic for it, but I know it's on Facebook. 
February 28th, 29th, and March 1st. Refuge is hosting our first Multiply Conference. You've got to see the graphic. It's gotten talked about. That is something that you need to be a part of. There will be day services. There will be day sessions. And there will be night services. The night services are going to be um, some of Refuge's and some of the nation's largest speakers. You are going to want to be a part of that. There are prophetic voices that are going to be speaking through those men. The prophetic voice of God is going to speak through those men into your life. And you're going to want to be a part of that. Church, there is no admission fee at all whatsoever. We want you to come to every church service you can. If you would like to stay for some breakout sessions during the day and you would like to eat lunch, it's just 10 bucks a day. And all that is, we're not making any money off of that. That is only just to pay for the, the lunch that you're going to get and eat that day. So if you want to come to the day sessions, there's going to be some great teachers there, some great breakout sessions. I know quite a few people that are coming, and we want you to help support this um, because there are quite a few pastors and leaders that are from all over the nation that are coming to these uh, services that, that need your support. Um, and on Multiplication Sunday, we talked about that, about how our church is, is kind of not really shifting, but is, is going to be operating in its uh, new era of ministry for multiplication in that we are going to be connecting people together as the circles begin to overlap. So we've got people, there is at least one pastor I know from, uh, uh, from uh, Winchester, Virginia, that is bringing his entire staff and team here to be here. We got people coming as far from East Tennessee and Virginia, from Illinois, from South Arkansas, from Mississippi. They're coming from all over this place to be here. And uh, and it's going to be a great time. And we want you to be sure to be there. So when you see the promotional stuff about that come around, please sign up. Um, and if you want to sign up to come to the day sessions, if you don't, if you if you got to work and you can't be there, totally fine. Um, but Please, please come to the night services. You're going to want to be there. It's going to be a Wednesday night, a Thursday night, and a Friday night. Um, so you're going to want to be there for that. It's going to be a great time. God bless y'all.